Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. you're going to need precision. AwesomeDice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh, hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah, I've got bardic inspiration dice. It's this totally mellow cannabis-themed set with smoky interior exclusively available at awesomedice.com. I see. Well, precision, bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let him know the Tome Show sent you, dudes. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. On this week's episode, we are pleased to be able to sit down with Sean Merwin, the hamster, the mad wizard, the whatever you want to call him. He's been around. He's done a lot of stuff. And we are going to talk about some of that. And then we're going to argue about box text, James. Woo! For you. Yeah, just for you, James. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we're going to start with our get to know you question, um, which today, um, I feel like this is a really good one. So I'm interested mm. in hearing everyone's opinion on it, mm. um, which in your opinion, what creature would make the best familiar and why Sean? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go old school here and I'm going to have to say a black cat, uh, before oh. the show, Oh yeah. B- before the show, we were talking about cats and, and just, I, I, my daughter has a cat and it is the bane of my existence. And I, I think it is a familiar from some, some warlock or, or witch who is trying to kill me. So, you, you know, they, they're, they're sly. They, they're evil. They have powers that no one can comprehend. So I, I've got to go with the, the straight up black cat. You know, as the owner of two black cats, uh, mine are definitely not sly like they don't mm. have the brains between them to fill up a thimble oh my baby okay. my black cat was fat as fuck <laughs> he, he was chubby boy more oh, kaiser yeah. yeah ours is a tuxedo so he's mostly black but mm-hmm. he 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 probably weighs close to 45 pounds uh so oh if, if he comes after you Heckin' chonker. Yeah, he he is. Uh, he's uh, he's a chonky boy yeah. for sure. So I don't I don't know if Keith put Mordekaiser on a diet after I had to transfer custody back to <laughs> to him, <laughs> but uh, he was he was about twenty twenty eight pounds or so. Man, you put Big. my cats together and they're not twenty eight yeah. pounds. Yeah, well, I mean, 
He was spoiled. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna go next because I'm sure this is not gonna surprise anybody. Jenny's favorite familiar is forty kobolds in a trench coat. There you go. No, it's a sing- <laughs> it's a single fox. Of course, that, that can change its fur color to suit the environment. Oh, oh okay. That way, it's sneaky. Arctic fox in the up in uh, Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. Nice. Gray fox in urban environments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then a red fox in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of black cat. <laughs> oh, hey, there's your familiar. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, Paige, what creature would you make your familiar uh, with? This is going to be a shock and a surprise. So if you're listening to this, sit down because you will never have predicted this. <laughs> I feel like the best creature to be a familiar is a hyena. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Here's what? I should have pulled up an extra seat for that one. <laughs> right? Uh, hyenas are highly social animals, and they are used to working within a matriarchal structure, so they're they're socialized to look for the group rather than the self. And uh, they're extremely clever, and they have all kinds of different vocalizations. Plus, you know, they'll eat someone's face if they bother you. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, then, um, for everyone who doesn't know you somehow, Sean, um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do in the RPG industry? Well, uh, I have been working in the industry on and off freelance or, uh, well, not full time, but freelance, full time or contractor or so on for 20 years, starting in about 2000 when third edition D&D was released. And right around that time, in the my, big boom. And yes, the big D20 boom. Uh, my daughter was born that year, and I knew that we would have lots of days sitting home doing not much. So I thought my wife was is also a gamer. We've been playing uh, since we were teenagers. And I thought, hey, maybe we should get back into D&D now. And third edition had just come out. And so we started looking for players. I live in a very rural area, not able to find a lot of players. So I heard about this Living Greyhawk organized play campaign, and I thought, well... Oh, good times. Yeah, so I thought maybe I could find some players this way, and I live uh, about an hour outside of Buffalo, New York, so sure enough, there were some players in Buffalo who were getting into Living Greyhawk as well, and so we started uh, getting back into third edition, getting back into D&D through that, and uh, as Paige probably is well aware, Living Greyhawk had... Uh, it was an organized play campaign that was divided up by your actual region in the world. So different regions were different countries in Greyhawk, different nations. And so uh, you could volunteer to, to do things. And I volunteered to help make adventures. And my area was New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And I live in extreme western New York. Like, I'm closer to Indianapolis than New York City. That's how far mm-hmm. away from New York I am. But all of the people that were were uh, in charge of our area were kind of in the east. And so I said, hey, I, I, I've, I'm an English major, and I was an English teacher, and do you need help writing or editing or doing any of that? And they're like, nope. And I said, fine, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just... I'll just sit here and keep going. And so as as we started getting more and more content, it, it just, it, it wasn't, I didn't see it up to snuff. So I said, hey, 
could I help you? This let me, you know, like I sent them the adventure that they had sent us. And I'm like, here, look at all the ways that I, you might edit this or change it to be great. Could I help? And they're like, nope. And so I'm just, I'm just having a real big giggle over here at somebody telling Sean that he can't write because I just can't yeah. fathom this. Yeah. yeah. And and it no, was, thank you. It was just kind of a who you know sort of thing because they it like, really was. It they, really they hired, was. They hired a writing director who his emails, you know, one sentence long emails would have like twelve typos in them, and. And so finally, uh, they must have gotten to the point where no one else was applying. So they said, sure, you be the writing director uh, for this region. And so I dug in and I just started doing what I do, which is put your head down and you work. And so I spent two or three years doing that. And that got me the itch of, of being in the industry and, and you know dealing with people, dealing with players, which I love, dealing with DMs, which I love. And, and so that's how it got started. And slowly over the years, I worked on other campaigns and would get a freelance gig here or there, uh, being, you know, having a master's degree in so English. So you were still teaching English at this time? or I, you... I, I had just stopped teaching because I had gotten a full-time job as a technical writer for a software company. Uh, oh, so okay. I, I was doing technical writing full-time and I had just gotten my MFA in creative writing. So that Oof, was that's like rough to go from an MFA creative writing to writing software documentation. Yeah, it, it, it is a big, big difference. But surprisingly, yeah. those two worlds really mesh well for role playing game design and writing. Oh, right? yeah. The creative yeah. side and the technical writing side. It, it, they're kind of made for each other. So mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I got started. And up until three years ago, I was still in that role in, at the software company. Um, I had changed roles over the years, but I still would freelance from time to time, uh, you know, on, as a side gig, just to have fun. Then the company that I worked for got sold and I mm -hmm. was suddenly uh, out of a job. And I thought, well, oh. maybe I could do this freelance uh, full time, oh, yeah. see how it goes. So for the last three years now, I've been doing it full time to see if I could make a go of it. And so far, so good. So far, so good. Uh, the first year was rough. It was slow. But uh, the yeah, last two years, I, I mean, I'm not, as you know, you're not going to make millions in a role playing game uh, industry. But yep, you know, the way, the way yeah. you make a small fortune in role playing games is to start with a large fortune. Mm -hmm. That's precisely it. But with the DMs Guild uh, exploding like it did, that was a nice mm -hmm. base uh, that, that you could start from. And then, you know, I would just take any job that was that was there. Uh, sure. I was, you know, beating the beating the bushes, trying to find anyone who needed any writing, editing, anything done. And mm -hmm. uh, and so far it's it's gone well. It's gone well. It's yeah. it's it's, it's, it's you... a job. You've done a fair number of the Adventures League um, introductory adventures. So that's like, I don't want to say it's your thing, but it's definitely like the intro stuff is a thing you're known for being able to create good adventures that you can get done quickly that cover all the bases of the game. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. I like, so to think that, you... I like to think that people just get so sick of them that they just want to get done in an hour at this point. <laughs> like, oh my God, just let's, let's end it right here. So you are being self-deprecating, sir. 
Uh, so what are some things that you have written in the past that people might know or might heard of? You've got several adamantine bestsellers on the DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, I want to know your secret for that. The, the, the secret <laughs> is write the first adventure in a season because everyone buys it. Uh, yeah. Truth. Yeah, it's, truth. it's true. I mean, it's true. And no, I mean, we the what helped me the most was running adventure after adventure after adventure for third and fourth and fifth edition, uh, especially at conventions, especially uh like delves they used to have the delves for third and sure, fourth edition sure. uh seeing those for run, those of you who don't remember or never played a delve it was an extremely technical meat grinder go till you die sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah but they were meant to be short so you had to mm-hmm. really you had to hit hard right from the start uh give the player something cool that they wanted to do and get to the end and just seeing what players respond to over the last 20 years and seeing what the DMs respond to at these conventions has, has been the world of experience. So, so what makes you a better writer is your experience DMing mm-hmm. and watching DMs and players interact with content. DMing yeah. for strangers. DMing for, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no kidding. Right. I mean, how, how much has your DMing changed? How much has your writing changed? Because you are doing things at conventions like running for strangers. It's oh, huge. no, I absolutely would credit de- convention DMing as an improving my writing because, like, you learn more about, like, what the general populace plays like mm-hmm. versus what your home group plays like. Right. And plus, playing at conventions where you're with a completely random table, you don't know anyone there, maybe it's you and a friend and you don't know anyone there. Mm-hmm. You learn all kinds of things that you don't know just because their play styles are different. Their rule interpretations might be more advanced in some areas. I mean, you always pick up something new playing with your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you, what you, I'm just going to keep talking over you. No, that's right. That's <laughs> right. I mean, what you, what you, what you learn after a while is when you're writing a, a role playing game adventure, you're not writing a story. You're creating an experience for someone else. Mm-hmm. And and that's the most important thing to remember, I think, when you write adventures is you're, this isn't your story. This is someone else's story. You're just creating the experience that they are going to have. So mm-hmm. th- that makes you start thinking not like a, a fiction writer, not, not like someone creating a narrative, but someone creating the elements of a narrative that somebody else is going to use. And, and when you can do that, you're one step closer to writing a successful adventure. Yeah. Very true. Fir- first thing I wrote was definitely more story-like. That was my creative writing creeping in. And then, like, mm-hmm. afterwards, I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. And what also Also, I me- tried to tackle a mystery right out of the game. <laughs> oh, <which>. Rough. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. rough. That's rough. But w- what helped me... <laughs> was I didn't write uh, an adventure for Living Greyhawk for about three, two or three years where I was just an editor. I was just a developer. So I got to see everyone else's mistakes and everyone else's successes. And I got to soak yeah. all of that in before I even put pen to paper to write my own adventure, which was super helpful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you just you get the experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're working mm-hmm. on your 10,000 hours. Uh, exactly. Do you have any 
do you have any particular piece of writing that you're just super proud of and that was kind of a heartwarming success story for you that you made made you feel good uh and and could you tell us about it how it evolved where it is now or one that like you really hate and wish you would have done a lot different yeah or or one that has haunted you yeah i mean i'm there's a little bit of that in everything you write i think uh, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the the one that was the one that was really cool for me to write was back in fourth edition. Um, they put out a book called Dungeon Delves, yep, which was just levels one to thirty, a short little adventure for each level, and I got to write the first level one. And again, that's the mm-hmm. one that most people are going to play. So I'm like, yeah, sure. but it it was uh, it was just fun because it was the first one of the first things that was written for fourth edition that they published. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I got that was because I had worked in organized play and I had a preview copy of the fourth edition rules. And they're like, Hey, we mm-hmm. need, ten, we need all sorts of stuff written. Hey, you have the rules. So I was working on, <laughs> I was working on a dragon or a dungeon magazine adventure adventure, not adventures league. That was living forgotten realms adventures. Um, sure. A, a, a soft cover module for wizards and the hardcover dungeon Dell book all at the same time. That sounds like a busy week. Yeah, when it, it rains, was, it pours. Yeah, and, and th- that it was all done almost within maybe two months of each other. But that mm-hmm. that first that first adventure was just so fun to write because I knew it was scary because I knew some people are gonna get into D D with this book. They're gonna sit down and play this. So I need to make this something memorable. No pressure. <laughs> And and one of the one of the greatest things was then reading a blog by Will Wheaton talking about running that adventure for his I think it's his stepsons. And yeah, what? and you know, he's saying how touching it was. I mean he didn't talk about the adventure itself. He didn't mention yeah, me. But the play experience. Right. But to say, you know, he, he him talking about running it and, and what it meant to be able to run it for you know, the, his family and introduce mm-hmm. his family to something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just cool. And that's, you can do it for the money, even though there's not a lot of it. You can do it for the fame, even though there's definitely not a lot of it. Not a lot of that either. But the experiences that people have and what it means to them to sit down with their family or their friends or just a group of strangers and have this experience together where we can argue about everything in this world right now. To be able to sit down and come together and tell a story together is such an important thing. And to be even a small part of that, yeah, is enough to make me weep. <laughs> so you know, I know that's how I feel too. I know. So so having, you know, reading about one person, even though he's famous, um, doing that was was cool. Think things that went wrong, I could go on and on and on because because <laughs> everything goes wrong uh, all the time. Okay, but- that's a good question. So um, yeah. uh, we've all written some things and we have all had good reviews. And then we've had those other reviews. Right. Uh, how I don't want to talk about those reviews. No, nope, <laughs> nobody does. Nobody does. Uh, how, so there's creative uh, mm-hmm. or there's constructive criticism, right? Which you get from your editors, friends, whatever. How do you deal with the destructive criticism? Because you live your life on Twitter. I mean, you're public. Mm-hmm. People tell you things. They leave reviews on DMs Guild. How do you how do you cope with that? 
I cope with it through experience because before I did any writing, I was, I got my MFA in creative writing and the best or the yeah best and most uh, used method of teaching creative writing is called a workshop where you write something and you give it to a group and they read it and they write all their notes down and then they sit in a circle and they talk about it and you're not allowed to say anything. You just have to sit and listen. I would have to put duct tape over my mouth. It was so hard mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. It's, it's an experience that unless you go through it, you, you just don't understand, especially Mm -hmm. if you are, are very protective of your work. And so what that taught me was a, don't be protective of your work because while your words might be important, they're not precious. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're just, they're just words. And they can change and they mean different things to different people. So what you have to understand uh, when you get criticism is separate the critic from the words, because there may be some real, I don't know if I can, can, how how sweary can we get here? (laughs) Pretty fucking sweary. Okay. (laughs) There there are some assholes out there who only, their existence is tearing other people down. And so, so you, you pull them out and you say, okay, take them out, look at their words. Do these words tell me anything I need to know about my work? If they don't, then throw those out. Um, and it, it sort of works the, in the opposite direction as well. While we all love praise, praise doesn't make your work better. It can make you feel better and it can help. Yeah. It can lubricate your brain to say, I am good at this. And now I can just throw these words down. But praise is, is sort of the same thing. If, if it doesn't tell me how I'm going to get better next time, then it's nice. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help me as the craftsperson to, to build a better adventure next time. And so you, you just have to separate that. And it's, it's very hard to do at times. Uh, I mm-hmm. like to feel all Zen about it and say, hey, look, at, and then, you know, and then I'll sit here screaming at the screen with spit all over uh, when I see somebody <laughs> say something bad about it's, it's I can take it. But when they do it to other people or people I know, that's when yeah. I really get get to. I had out, an but. experience with reviews after I wrote my season eight adventure, but a lot of it wasn't even about me. <laughs> Right. No, they were mad at season eight. You right. just happened to be collateral damage. Right. And, and and that's right. And that's that's how you do it, though. Right. You're like, OK, yeah. these words, what are they talking about? Are they talking about what I wrote? No, they're talking about season eight. And how many times have we gotten bad reviews of, about things we have no control over? When you write for the Adventures League there, you have very little control of a lot of what you're writing. For sure. When when I wrote. um uh, Undermountain, the Halls of Undermountain for fourth edition. Mm-hmm. I I made the mistake. I went on Amazon. I'm like, let's see what people what people are saying. One star. My book came in and the box was ripped. Well, I'm sorry I didn't write the book in such a way that it held the structure of your box from Amazon when it came. <laughs> Next time, I will try to write words that will actually make the cardboard of the box stronger. Right. I mean, wh- wh- what are you yeah. going to do? So, so right. you, you, you find people you trust, you listen to what they have to say, you make sure they read it and give you feedback. And then just in general, 
be accepting of the criticism that is accurate. Right. I, mm-hmm. I had one person, I had written a, uh, adventure for living Greyhawk. Um, and I was standing, it was at a convention. I was standing on the line. I think it was in subway and the guy ahead of me was complaining about the adventure. And he was like, oh, this adventure sucked. And he was going on and on and on. And then I realized that what he was complaining about was absolutely accurate. And it was a very mechanical thing. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, had, it had to do with the way it scaled and and how high-level mm-hmm. characters are immune to poison while low-level characters aren't. So the, the scaling didn't actually scale right. And he was absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, because back, back in those days, dear listeners, you mm-hmm. wrote an adventure for Living Greyhawk, and it ran from APL 2 to APL 20. Yep. Which so, made your monster stat blocks a little weird. Yeah. So and I and so I introduced myself and I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. That 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 if I could change that, I would. I can't at this point, but you know, thank you for for pointing that out because it it's uh you're you're totally accurate. And he was so embarrassed. Uh but and then you have the time like uh, you just had Mr. Mike Shea Sly Flourish on. Uh, yeah. He was complaining about an adventure to me, which I had written. Uh, <laughs> and he, he, he cornered me at a restaurant and was just going to town on me. So I sat there very slowly eating a huge piece of carrot cake. Um, and we still laugh about <laughs> the carrot cake incident. <laughs> I have never written an adventure that would cause Mr. Mike Shea to have a mini meltdown. Really? Intellect of hour, intellect of hour, intellect of hour. <laughs> yeah. So, Hold you on, know. Paige. Hold on, Paige. You haven't yet. <laughs> no, no. I, I, he, he was very uh, enthused about the number of uh, intellect of hours in my season eight mod. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so. valid. Because it, it, it was bottomless buffet of intellect of hours. <laughs> That was so true. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? All of the hours, all the time. Mm. True story. <laughs> yes. So, so you have, I, in my mind, I feel a lot of wisdom. I have been to one of your How to Write an Adventure panels, and Ben and I still say things to remind us of some of the lessons you passed on uh, in that particular event. Let's say one of our listeners out there tonight says tomorrow i'm a write an adventure mm-hmm. what advice would you give that person you're going to write your adventure at least three times the first time you write your adventure you are going to write it as you as the writer who is going to get out the experience that you want the dm to present to the players the second time you write it you are going to write it as the dm and you are going to think as you're going back through your adventure, okay, if I'm DMing this, what do I need to have? Sure. What, uh, what if I'm DMing, what information is here? Am I lacking right now? The third time you sure. write it, you're going to write it as a player. If you're playing it, are you going to enjoy this adventure? Is it fun? Does it give you uh, a good goal to start with and then carry that goal through? Does it give you important dramatic uh elements to hold on to think about that in that way after you've written it after you've written it three times then you are now ready to go start in in actuality editing it um and and doing that but at least three times you need to go through your adventure with three different viewpoints the writer the dm Mm -hmm. and then the player yep that is very useful 
it gets easier to do. Um, well, obviously, mm-hmm. it's easier to do the more you DM and the more you play, uh, sure. and and the more you write. But just it also gets easier as you write more. Then your mindset, you're able to switch mindsets uh, a mm-hmm. little bit easier. And if you get really good, which I'm not at yet, then you can actually switch mindsets while you're writing and say, all right, I just wrote this as as the experience, but now I see that there, I described the statue, but I didn't tie in how the statue is going to be important as part of the trap that's later, yada, yada, yada. Sure. That, you know, but you need to think on those different levels as you write. I think I, that it's that is very good advice, sir. In the kind that I would imagine we would get from you. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't want to be glib or or trite, but nope. it's it's important and and it needs to needs to be a part of everyone's writing process when you write adventures. So speaking of writing as the DM, like as a writer, one thing that kind of gives me pause is that. I have written this thing. It is my darling baby. Um, and now I'm going to hand it to a bunch of DMs who I do not, unfortunately, have uh, raries up with. And I can't tell them my platonic ideal of how this thing should be run. I am mm-hmm. left with merely words on a page to communicate with them. Yep. And I just, it, it just, it makes me a little... Mm-hmm. little deranged some days how do you yeah. how do you deal with that is there better philosophy there is it just a, a writing thing you get used to it it i don't know if you get used to it but i'll i'll throw the question back at you this way both of you in your years mm-hmm. of playing at conventions uh, mm-hmm. or home games what would you say your ratio of r- really good dms to average dms to bad dms has been yeah, roughly 20, 55, 25. Okay. So 70% of the DMs that you've had are, are serviceable. Good. Yeah. They, they, they do an okay job. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what gives me heart is that. I might go a little bit higher, but yeah. I also have a lot of repeat DMs. Yeah, <laughs> true. And, and so recently though, I've been trying to play more back when we could actually play in person, just to, just to get a look at how, how DMs run adventures uh, mm-hmm. for this particular reason. And because uh, the, the there's per- nothing more frightening than walking around at a convention mm-hmm. and watching people play your adventure like yeah. in real time. Oh, it is. It is. I and, like to sit down at their table and not tell them it's mine. Yeah. yeah. That, that's fun too. But if you uh, run play tests uh, of your adventure, at least for me, half the stuff that my players do during the play test, I don't expect, but I put that into the adventure right away. And yeah. so that's, that's one step. The second step is, I I consider myself an okay DM. I, I don't think I'm great. I don't think I'm bad. I think I'm I'm okay. And I have played with some absolutely superb DMs who mm-hmm. later I would go back and read the adventure they ran and realize They'd that be they, like, what is this? They ran this great session. They made a great experience based on an adventure that did not provide the elements of the experience they gave me. Yeah. Uh, and and I trust the DMs to do that for me as well as a writer. Um, I remember going back, third edition, fourth edition, even fifth edition days to DMs and say, please, please, please do not run my adventure as written. 
<laughs> run it ah. for the table that you have because there are going mm-hmm. to be some times when the players just don't get something. There are going to be times that the DM, uh, the players have an idea that's awesome and my adventure does not uh, meet, live up to that, that awesome idea. So please mm-hmm. go with their idea rather than my adventure. And so when I write, I, I give the DMs the benefit of the doubt I try to give them everything I can without overwriting and then just let them give them the, the tools they need to make changes and be DMs, uh, whether it's right. a home game, whether it's a mostly ad lib game or whether it's the strictest of organized play games, they, they still need to have the ability to do that. And I trust them to. I don't know why you're snickering, Paige. <laughs> I, I'm snickering at myself because I am a bit of a control freak. I know this is news to everybody who knows me. Yeah. Mm. It, no, I, I, am, I am not not a control freak in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. So I get it. But I just know that I can't be there all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, there have there's been only times, one of me. There's only one of yeah, me. There have been times when players have come up to me and said, "This adventure was terrible." You, I know you wrote it, and I mean, you know, friends or people that I trust will say, "You know, why did you have this here and that did that?" And I'm like, "I, that's not in the adventure, my friend. Uh, I don't know what <laughs> your DM did." So it obviously cuts both ways. But yeah, I, I will always be happy to take um, the credit for an adventure when the DM saved me. And then I could always throw the DM under the bus later if someone comes up to me and says, why did why did you do this? And I'm like, here's the adventure. I did not do that. So, you know. <laughs> but I didn't. It, it's, the, it's the best uh, of all worlds. All right. Well, that, that sort of unrustles my jimmies about that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you, I mean, Paige, you've written enough. And Jenny, you've written enough. You know, your adventures have now been played by tens of thousands of people around the world. Oh, God. Yeah. And I, I think and, that's an overestimate, but. Well, I don't no, know, Paige. I, yours has definitely been around the world. Yes. <laughs> Fair. Yes. Our yeah. friends at Bethesda did give away 20,000 copies of it. That's right. I mean, you, you've you got more uh, airplay than anybody. And. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Now. Yeah, it never grows old. Never grows. And old. and I'm sure some of those tens of thousands of people have had absolutely wonderful times, and I'm sure that those some of those tens of thousands have have had a horrible time. But I bet, say a hundred thousand people have played our stuff. Probably nine hundred and ninety thousand of them have no idea who we are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's great. So. Yeah. I like it better that way. Yeah. I I I don't mind anonymity at all. <laughs> Fair, fair. Yeah. Actually, weirds me out when people like come up to me. They're like, "I played your thing," and I'm like, "Who the fuck are you?" Yeah. <laughs> Which thing? Yeah. Also, it's a, it's always ambiguous. I played your thing, your adventure. Hmm. Well, which? Well, which? Well, the suspense is killing me. Which one? <laughs> you know the one with that fight in it. The one that had that fight yeah. in it. That cool fight. The D and D one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a goat. And I'm like, you still haven't narrowed it down. 
Was it a two-headed goat? Was it a demon goat? What what kind of goat? Giant that goat? is actually my favorite favorite introductory adventure run. I've uh, run the demon goat one, God, hundred times easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the one that Sean wrote. Yeah. What was that? Season three. Season three. Season three. Yeah. Yeah. Harried and Hillsfire. Yeah, Harried and Hillsfire. It's great. It's yeah. great. The new player tables running them at MomoCon when we're full up and I have enough staff to staff my admin table so I'll sit down and run a game and then like disrupt the entire hall by doing goat noises really loudly. <laughs> Plus that adventure's great fun because uh, I have a penchant for horror and mm-hmm. I can dial up the creepy to 11 with that oh, adventure yeah. if my yeah. table's into it. It's yep. really great because nobody ever expects me to just all of a sudden just like buy bleat them, bleat at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yeah, they're I like, mean... okay, okay, it's what? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh god, what is it? Yeah, goats. Goats are the most horrifying things in the world. <laughs> they're wonderful. Right. That doesn't make them less horrifying. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Switching. Uh, I guess since you're since you're not going to tell us the secret of marketing adamantine bestsellers, switching oh. gears a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Will you not tell us the secret? Because I'd love to know that secret. I'll tell like, you. I, I other wish. Other than write I, the first adventure. Well, as far as I can tell, that is the secret. Uh, okay. I, I I am a horrible. I mean, horrible... Paige, you've got one. Yeah. Your secret is let That's the right. let the That's fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 502 was the first adventure that came out on the DMs Guild with certs in it. Yeah. And uh, for Adventures League, and that yeah. was a draw, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. Adventures League is a, a motivated, wonderful, passionate audience. And there is no, mm-hmm. there's no secret that that's not a secret. And there's no secret that, you know, if you write an Adventures League adventure, it is going to sell uh, a lot of copies just because of that audience so yep. you know thank you mm-hmm. adventures league audience i really I love best. you yeah you are the best they're, um, they're great and like my al adventures like if you take all of my cccs that i've written and i think ben and i have seven or eight or nine i don't know cccs if you add that all together it doesn't come to our our yeah. lowest selling adventures league adventure yeah, just just a little inside baseball. Uh, the the first Adventures League adventure was Defiance and Flan, and mm-hmm. I I think we're we're approaching ten thousand uh, copies Madame sold. Fiona or something. Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Tea House. Yeah, Madame Fiona's Tea House. Wet. So so that that's come that's come. Yeah, her five five daughters, different colored hair. Uh, they that's going coming up on ten thousand sales. When Wizards wow. gave it away, when Wizards gave it away for free, yeah. ten, 10 times that many people downloaded it for free. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so I don't know if that's an Adventures League audience. I don't know if that's just people grabbing I think it because that it's was free. A little, I think it was a little bit of everybody because, yeah. like, people were at home. People didn't have anything to do. And... I got some giveaway numbers on some of the other ones because uh, they gave away like four of four or five of Alan's things. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there's there's like 
a hundred thousand people, you know, grabbing an adventure to play. That's I, I try not to think of it in terms of missed sales. I try to think of it in terms of look at how this hobby is growing, and yes, what, what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna like it. They're gonna look at your name on the cover of it, and they're gonna be like, "I'm gonna find another Sean Merwin adventure." Yeah, I hope one could only hope. One yep. could only hope. And you know, in terms <laughs> like, of mar- in terms of marketing, right? I I but one of I worked for a uh, digital marketing software company, so I know a little bit about marketing. I have Ooh. no idea how to market at D and D Adventures League stuff. I just <laughs> really, I, it's I, I don't hard. right because you, you don't have access to a lot of the numbers. Uh, so and, and I don't. I, I'm fine with marketing other people's stuff, but I just I I was raised with that sort of don't talk about yourself, don't show off, don't do yeah. that. Just just do your job. And it's okay to toot your own horn a little I, bit. I, I know. And I, I honestly, I try and I just feel ridiculous when I do it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm like, Hey, check out my stuff, please. It, it's, I just, I, I find it's a lot easier for me when it's a group project. Cause I can yes. like post it over and over again. Right. My awesome creators, co-creators. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I did something too, but also yeah, right. Jenny and I do this self-deprecation game <laughs> with the round table where whenever we're talking about it, uh, I'm like, Jenny Love Day, blah 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 blah. And yep. she's like, when she talks about it, she's like, Paige Lightman, blah 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 blah. <laughs> yep. We had we had an argument over our business cards about whose name was gonna go first. I know. <laughs> that was uh, always alphabetical. That, Just go up there. <laughs> Well, so we both mocked it up, and when we traded to see which design we like, we realized that we did that, and we did go with alphabetical. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but we realized that we did that. We were like... Of course. <laughs> and, and both your last names are L, so you have to go right. to the second letter, and that yeah. gets all confusing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, I could have gone with my first name and made Paige go first anyways. Suck it, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> You should have switched your names and been Paige Loveday and Ginny Lightman. Oh, it's Ginny Lightman? Yeah. yeah. Ginny Lightman's a cool name. That actually sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Paige Loveday is not bad either. Yeah. Every, everyone will stop you and tell you how beautiful your name is, by the way, if you, if you want it. Really? Yeah. Like so often, unsolicited comments, that is such a pretty name. To which people get the most confused looks when I'm like, thanks, I took it from my ex-husband. <laughs> 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 or, or actually actually one time um i was i was like half asleep so i said i took it from my past husband and they were, they were like really concerned like they looked yeah. like i'd maybe murdered him or something i my mean pa- my yeah. past husband <laughs> you just get that real crazy eyed look they they did yeah. actually start backing away <laughs> mission accomplished yep. yeah um okay um, anyways, where I was trying to change. Um, so speaking of organized play, speaking of all the Adventures League and everything, you are one of the admins for the Eberron organized play campaign right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like? It's like coming in after some really great act has already gone. Uh, you know, it's like the Rolling Stones just got off stage and I walk out with my accordion. Uh, because... <laughs> Because that's that's kind of what it felt like. It's time for some polka. Yeah, B- because the Adventures <laughs> League 
you know, ran for nine years or eight years before, or seasons, I should say, before uh, Will Doyle and I were brought on to run the Eberron Oracle of War campaign. And our task was create a campaign that's different. So, you know, there may be players out there that aren't jiving with the current uh, Forgotten Realms campaign. So let's see what else we can come up with because there are a million different ways to run an organized play campaign. So we're like, okay, we're going to do more of an adventure path sort of thing. We're going to try to keep the rules simple. We're going to, you know, do all of that. And so that's what we did. And it's been great because Will does all the heavy lifting. He's in charge of the adventures. I'm just in charge ah. of, of making sure that the trains are running on time, uh, essentially. The airships. Uh, are running yeah. on time. The airships, yes. The lightning or rail lightning is, 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 is running on time. Thank you. To, to, to get away from the Mussolini reference. Um, yes. So we, uh, and yeah, Will is amazing. He is so creative. And I'm sitting back and making sure that, uh, that when a convention wants an adventure, it gets it. When it needs to go up on the DMs Guild, it gets there. And uh, I'm basking in will's glory essentially uh he's created a really uh great story um we've tried to keep the campaign simple to emphasize story rather than uh all all the rules that sometimes uh get caught up in in an organized play campaign so you know it's basically one adventure per level we do have a few extras that you can you can play Uh, a couple was one epic this tier two epic will be coming out very soon and uh, just a different way to play organized play is is how I like to to think of it. I just I'm super excited. Um, as I just posted in our in our chat that we're having here, <laughs> um, my, my best selling adventure is um, that I wrote all by myself is an Eberron adventure mm-hmm. um, from the the, the playtest campaign. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Embers of the Last War, which does not compatible with oracle of war true story true story uh separate campaigns but yeah i mean that was a fun campaign to to work on and it it told a neat story and that's why i love eberron too is because again it's about experiences right uh Mm -hmm. we're trying Mm -hmm. and you can create such interesting and and new and unique stories with eberron um as compared to just a kitchen sink D &D campaign High fantasy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cir- cir- circling back to um, reviews, though, my favorite view that I ever got on that was someone who was absolutely irate because it's in Sharn, right? Sharn, the city of towers, and I put a basement. There are no basements in Sharn. Have you not been to the Cogs? Right. And, and I was like, uh, dude, anytime you can go down, it's a basement, right? <laughs> and and it may be the eighty seventh floor, but it's a basement to you. And of course, there is a an Eberron novel that does talk about a basement in Charn. So there, you, there go. you have it. It didn't even like maybe it was just one of those buildings, like in any hilly town, where you go in at street level and then right. you go down a couple floors and you come out at street level on the other side. Right. Sure. And, yeah. It's uh, if if people don't if people don't want to like something, they will find reasons not to like something. That's yes. what it comes down to. It just, it just made me like, I was dying of laughter. And I'm like, yeah. what a thing to be upset about. Yeah. So 
how do you how do you do player involvement with oh. the Eberron game? What's what's the community management like? Yeah. Uh, well, I would have to d- defer to uh, our very uh, hardworking community team for that mm-hmm. because okay, uh, I, I that think, is not your problem. Well, it's 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 not it is my problem, but it's their problem first. So yeah, you know, the, they handle the uh, they handle the being on Facebook social and being, being on Twitter and yeah, social media aspect, which is, which is the, the real hack. Um, and then mm-hmm. they'll sort out all of that and then come to me and say, Hey, we had a question about how does this rule work? And then I will answer mm-hmm. and they will take care of it. And mm-hmm. um, so it's in that sense, it's, I've got the best of both worlds. Cause I've got Will doing the hard work of, of writing stories and, and, uh, and, and the community. finding authors. Great, yeah, you got a great stories going there. Yeah. yeah, yep. Uh, lots of lots of cool stuff. We're going uh at Gamehole Con, um, which from when we're recording is like a week away. We start with mm-hmm. our tier tier three adventures. So uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. And so in another year, we will be up to level twenty, a full one through twenty campaign. The second epic recently come out. The second epic, I think, may have just I played. Roll yeah, roll twenty. Con. Yeah, yeah, Evercon, right? And uh, and then it should be up on the guild maybe in two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. week or yeah, two. and um, speaking of epic on the guild, uh, the Eberron campaign had the honor of being the first epic available publicly on the guild, and. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, but I'm sure they did pretty well too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was a decision that we hemmed and hawed about, but since it's such a limited run campaign, we, we, we really want it to be more of a, I don't want to say home campaign because that sounds too, too narrow, but we want it to be mm-hmm. the campaign where you're not jumping from table to table to table, but maybe you do find a group yeah. that you play one to 20 with. Because if you want that sort of hopping all over the place, you already have that in the Forgotten Realms campaign. Um, you yeah. know, we wanted this to, to focus and make it more about the players. So we put in those story awards and we did put the epic up because of the fact that many people might not be able to make it to a convention, but we still wanted to have that epic feel. So you can run it at a small con or you can even just run it at your, for your home game. And there yeah. are rules in there for running it that way. And I think that we're going to see the uh, Forgotten Realms campaign follow suit. And good, uh, especially, especially in the time of COVID. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that, that makes it even more uh, valuable to do that for sure. Yeah. I think the season 10 epics are going up on good. the game. Good. Mm-hmm. That'll be good for whoever wrote the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't... Whoever wrote the first one, Con. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I co-wrote it with Celeste uh, Konowich, uh mm-hmm. and, and It was we... such a fun little epic. It was definitely yeah. not designed for online play. No, it was, it was not. <laughs> when we, we designed it pre-COVID, and it was In definitely... It was definitely meant for lots, like a festival feel and people milling around. And then when we realized that this was going to have to be run originally and maybe for a long time online, there was a bit of redesigning uh, going into it. Oh, good, good. 
to to make it a little less. I mean, it's still it would still be. Oh, good. Played or run it, page right? I haven't played it or run it now. Oh, okay. okay. I've I've uh, I've run it four <laughs> or five times now mm-hmm. <laughs> online um, for uh, celebration. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we even yeah. had a meeting uh, with people that ran online conventions before we did our final pass on it, and said, "All right, tell us about running Epics Online. Would this work?" <laughs> Would that work? Would this work? Would that work? And I, yeah, you were there, Jenny. And uh, yeah, I was there. I and so, and so we we made some uh, we made some adjustments based on that. And it turns out that uh, some of the feedback we got was, were from people that, while they do have a lot of experience running it online, their their online play was very small. You know, they'd run it for four yeah. tables, five tables, six tables. When it went came out to be run at celebration there were a lot more than four or five or six tables all yeah. online at the same time. So, but again, most players yeah. understand uh, they go with the flow. They don't get overly upset if something doesn't go Im- immediately right. And uh, so we had good feedback and good constructive feedback to, uh, to go forward. So hopefully in, with future epics, they will, uh, they will. The hardest part of doing that one online is uh as a dm is keeping track of where your players are at the certain parts when they needed to come back to the table yeah um i fortunately had learned all their discord names i would just like scroll through find where they're at join the voice channel hey come back to the table yep (laughs) yep and and the Um, the admin team everyone else go to your table the admin team we would find people just kind of wandering around like okay hey just pull them back here (laughs) that's pretty funny yeah, yeah uh, I, I actually got the power on like the third run through of it, and I was just like, "Oh, I could just bring them back myself." <laughs> <laughs> I got <laughs> you're mine. Yep. I got promoted because I was already going around telling people to return to their tables, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and Laura was like, "You could just put them at their tables now." <laughs> <laughs> the magic of Discord. So, speaking of online conventions, and we've talked mm-hmm. about the DMs Guild. Uh, I feel like, uh, and this is certainly not everybody's opinion, that we're in the middle of a huge sea change for D&D. And mm-hmm. the game is really changing right now because there's been three big changes. The first was uh, D&D Beyond, which yeah. has completely changed how we interact with rules. Oh, yeah. uh, or a lot of us. Yep. Uh, there's DMs Guild, which has completely democratized the publishing process. Like, literally anyone can put stuff on there. Absolutely. And uh, and now... You can put it up. Yep. And now, particularly with COVID, online gaming is totally a thing. And if your only free slot is Tuesday mornings from 9 to 12 Pacific time, there will be somebody in the world who is running a D&D game at that time who will play with you. It, it you is want a good game. Am- amazing. Mm-hmm. You can pay someone. And yeah. and there's paid DMing. Like paid DMing is a whole thing. Yep. Like 49-year-old Paige can barely comprehend it. Oh yeah. 12-year-old Paige would not have recognized it as a even a thing. Oh, I know. all of a sudden have an inbox full of player requests and I'm like, oh god, I need to charge more. Yep. <laughs> and you yeah. should. So what do you think about these big changes and this big kind of sea change and how D&D interacts with its target audience? Because that's what all these are, is right. the interaction between the game and the people who are playing it is is changing. 
Uh, yeah. how do you, what do you feel about those changes? Where do you see the hobby going? What do you think about the state of the hobby right now? Wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those deals where it really doesn't matter what you think about it because you can think anything you want about it, but uh, you're going to be left behind if you don't hop on the train. Yeah. And, you know, the... The 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 forty nine year old plus me, you know, grew up with D and D as a way to socialize with people, and sure. uh, it's it's even as a a job now. It's still that's still how I see the game, but I also understand that. I'm not going to be one of those people that says, well, I played D&D for free for 40 years, and so everyone should play D&D for free. That's not the way the world is. It just, it just isn't. Mm-hmm. And you can be as curmudgeonly as you want about it, but if people can earn a living doing something they love and they're not hurting anybody else and they're actually making other people happy, that's, that's great. Do it. Exactly. Yeah, never, never mess with someone's side hustle. No, uh, you know, if you want to, if they don't want to pay for it, they won't. Right. Exactly. And and I I understand. I can understand that there are there are concerns about people that may not have the disposable income to be able to have the same things that people with the disposable income have. That is something that's near and dear to my heart as someone growing up with no disposable income whatsoever. You know, I don't want to leave people behind, but I also don't want to squash innovation. I don't want to squash um, people's ability to do what they love and earn a living doing it. And so I, I want there to be every, all sorts of things. I want there to be pay to play D and D where if you, if you have the time and the money, do it. If you, uh, you know, if you want to be that DM that does it for free, awesome. Tell everybody what you do. I will, I will put out the word if you need players, because there are people that um, you know want to play but don't have the money. What I what I mm-hmm. hate to see is people that complain about paying four ninety nine for an adventure, but then they <laughs> go out and 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 you know do, spend their money on magic? other things. And don't magic. and don't complain about it, right? Because yeah. they're, they're because, totally willing to go pay fifteen or twenty dollars for a mo- night at the movies, right? And and I understand, I can understand the the visceral thing behind that, right? That conservative sort of this is how it's always been, and I hate change. But again, life is going to move on, and mm-hmm. it doesn't do you any good to stand in the face of not just change, but change that's necessary and change that's good uh, mm-hmm. just because it feels uncomfortable to you. Right. You sure. can, you can sit there and feel uncomfortable and that's, that's fine. I, I feel bad that people do, but you, you have to be ready to move on. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we need to make the audience understand how much work goes into these things so that they will be willing to pay that money for, you know, instead of spending $20 on the movie to spend $5 for the four hour experience of yeah. playing D and D with a really good DM and some other fun players and, you know, that social experience. So, True. and, and so everyone needs to improve, right? 
everyone, if you're going to pay money for something, you you want a good experience. So if you're going to uh, charge money to DM, get good at your craft, right? Yes. And and to, you know, earn that money. Same thing if you're going to be a writer, you know, earn that earn that money that you're making by doing the best you can and getting good editors and getting good cartography and getting you know everything that you can into this product. So hopefully sure. we're going to raise everyone up, not just the writers, not just the DMs that are charging, but everyone gets raised up by that. I hope. Yep. I hope so too. Um, so one question that we've got on here that I got to get to, because I said it in the intro. Oh, <laughs> box text. Oh my Lord. Isn't yeah. <laughs> it is a capital I issue mm-hmm. in the RPG community. There's a spec a whole spectrum of views on it. Some people some people love box text, both DMs and players. They want to hear from the author directly. Some people hate box text because Some people it's like, never want to see a box in their text entire all. life because they're like, I'm the DM. I know what I'm doing here. I do not need babysitting from the author. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Where do you fall on this spectrum? I mean, I know the answer, but everyone else might not. I, I fall on the answer that a, a D&D adventure is a technical document that needs to be used by real people in real time. What is the best thing for a majority of the people, a majority of the time? And the answer there is at least some box text. Uh, because it's not just that it, they need something to read. The box text has become a de facto formatting thing where your eyes go immediately. You know where to start. Uh, can that change? It absolutely could change. Could we go with bullet points? We absolutely could. Uh, sure. But it, you still need something that helps the DM deliver that experience. And yep. and I know that when I run an adventure, if I haven't had a chance to really prep it, I rely on box text heavily. I trust mm-hmm. the, the writer, just as the writer will trust the DM in some ways, to give me box text that's good. To give me box text that's not going to be too long or contain irrelevant information or contain wrong information or contain information that's misleading. Uh, so, again, it's that it's a running a D&D game is a full on experience that everyone involved has to be buying into. And so when I read box text, I trust the writer to have done it. And the thing about it is, and what I don't get about everyone's gripe, who, you know, is insistent that it not exist, is that if, if it's a DM who's good and who doesn't want any of it, then don't read it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, nobody's making you take the box and read it. You can make your own words. You can mm-hmm. put it into whatever other format you want. The information is there. Use it as you will. It, it is but, true. as you said, for new, for new DMs or people who... You know, at a convention, we ended up somehow with five extra tables of this. They oversold tickets. Can you run it now? I've never seen it, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and Which unless you am I at? unless you've had that experience, you you don't you you don't realize how important that box text can be. But yeah. once you've had that experience, once you're sitting there with six strangers staring at you, and you're not allowed to tell them you have not prepped this adventure, you're not allowed to do that. 
Um, you need to set. Sorry, that... I wasn't prepared to run this slot. Give me right. one second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that you know that's going to ruin their experience right there. Oh, great, we have a DM who didn't read it. So you can't tell them, and they're staring at you. I mean, it, that's like being put up on stage to to a play, and you're not given the script. So yeah. you, know, you you need all the help you can get, and box text is that help. Mm-hmm. I I have the Twitter theory of box text. Like box text is fine. But if it can't fit in a tweet, it shouldn't be in a box text. Yeah, 280 characters is all you get. Right. And over the last 20 years, I have seen some, I've seen box text that goes on for more than a page. Uh, I, we did it in Black Road, and I regret every minute of it. Yeah. Now, one exception I will say for box text being allowed to be longer is in like an epic event when it's your big introductory yeah. thing, but mm-hmm. you still don't want it to be too long right but you can have yeah more than 280 characters you can maybe double it and and i mean there can be there can be exceptions uh but it better be a very unique exception um Mm -hmm. because otherwise james and tricasso who comes down on the anti-box deck (laughs) side is is absolutely right in many of the points that he makes you know some dms and i've seen it some players, I mean, as soon as the DM starts the box text, and I mean as soon they're as they're gone, three, three sentence, three words in, they're <laughs> looking around, they're gla- yeah, because they've just been trained to ignore it because mm-hmm. it just isn't relevant, it isn't any good, it's not useful. So, you know, that is the probably the hardest thing to write well in, in an adventure, and you just have to. Just keep saying to yourself, if I'm the DM, do I want to read this? If I'm the player, do I want to listen to this? It goes right back to that point I made about being three different writers as you write. Yep. Yeah, And a good box text, in my opinion, in the way I run, should present the players with the information that they need to immediately take some sort of action. So, like, after you read your box text, you should be able to pretty much go into, so what do you want to do now? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, like, if they weren't listening, how do they know? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, this is pretty, uh, this is something I've said over and over again, but it, it does, it is useful. Don't use the word you in box text. Ever. If you don't use the word you, you can't tell characters what they feel. You can't move the characters. Uh, you can't do all those things that are so frustrating. Now you can still write bad box text without using you. And it's, it can be hard to, to not say you, well, you're looking at, don't say you're looking at, just describe what they're looking at. The statue yep. is blank. Don't say you look at the statue, which is blah, blah, blah. Just say it. Um, so it's something that you can try. Your box text will get better if you don't use the word you. Uh, it won't be perfect still, but it'll help. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of using the word you. Oh, I still do. Like, as you crest the hill. Right. And then the rest of it's just like, mm-hmm. what's there? What do you it, do with it? Sure. You, and, you and I, it. This is what's there. I, I still use it, but I also know when I use it to look and make sure I'm not actually moving the players or telling them what they feel or think. Yeah, it, you box text should never be as you enter the door, as you turn the handle. No, why? why? Right. Or my 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 least favorite box text in the history of Adventurers League. Uh, my box text death. <laughs> oh oh oh. Paige, weren't you weren't you there at Origins season six tier four epic 
box text death. Yep. About about half the room was like, say what? <laughs> we quit, Dave. Where's our money? Right. <laughs> we were. Uh, uh, there, was, there was some rewriting that went on immediately. Yeah. yeah. I think my least favorite box text was um, uh, there was it was Living Greyhawk and mm -hmm. as a culture we had too many scenes where there are two NPCs talking to each other yeah. in box text and you just got to watch it like a play mm -hmm. and I just wanted to like tear my eyeballs out. I'm like I don't give a fuck what those people yeah. are doing. I'm here yeah. playing paying money to play games. Let me play game. Yeah, like if I wanted to listen to two people, I would ask the DM yeah. if I can eavesdrop, and then they can do the conversation. <laughs> yeah. If you're making a DM talk to him or herself, you are uh, you're Fail. not writing. Yeah, you you want to rethink what you've just done. <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm not here to play the game with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not fun for me as a DM. No. Please don't. No. Yep. Um. Uh, Okay, um, so we are over, just over an hour, so um, do you have anything else that you want to share with the listeners before we go? Any upcoming events, projects, things that you're working on or have just worked on that you want to make sure people check out? Uh, you can check out the product that the uh, D&D uh, &D Adventures League administrators just put out called Knuckleheads and Other Curiosities. You got it. Uh that was really fun to work on. It has a mm -hmm. adventure for tier two characters for both the Adventures League, uh, Forgotten Realms campaign, and the Adventures League Eberron Oracle of War campaign, plus a whole bunch of encounters and a bunch of player stuff. And uh, it's good, good, good fun overall. Um, if you are really into podcasts, if uh, if you can only listen to one podcast, listen to the Roundtable. But if you can listen to two. <laughs> Listen to Down with D&D, &D, which is a podcast I do with Mr. Teos Abadia uh, weekly. And uh, we have a good time. And it's time. a great podcast. I uh, expect that there's a lot of conversation I, about flumps on it. Yeah, yeah I can't listen to it because our group is going to start playing Icewind uh, before long. And you're talking yeah. about Icewind, so I'm off till that yep. is over. But I've already yep. read the whole book. Yeah. 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 So the first half of the podcast is usually just news and you know, Teos and I talking about what we've seen about D and D and news and blogs and what's, products. It's about what's going down. What's going down with D and D? Yes. And then the second half, we <laughs> delve into a topic. And right now, we are in the middle of a very, 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 very deep dive into Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden, where we're going through it literally page by page and talking about. If you're a DM, this is what you might want to think about as you're running this adventure. So. And other than All that, right. I, I this show will have dropped by the time the Gamehole Con uh, virtual show is over. But I did a game. I'm sure it was great uh, with the other <laughs> adventures. It will have on be great. Like it the will. grammar that goes with that yeah. is a little weird. It is have been great. Uh, yes. So we'll see how that goes. It's going, yeah, it's gonna be great. I was looking at the lineup for players for the admin game, and I'm like, yeah, that's a scary, scary group of folks right there. It should be scary good. I can't I wait to see what Claire does. Claire's like, yeah, <laughs> always so unexpected. Yep, yep. And I feel bad for Greg. We'll see. We'll see how he can keep up with us. Wait. Uh, is Greg the DM? Yes, he is. 
Oh, I oh, assumed it was Yandy that was going to do that. Yeah, no, I, I believe Greg Marks is. Chris <laughs> play. Oh, no, I'm even more excited. Poor fool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mean, Greg, you, my heart just, goes out to you, son. Just, yeah, I mean, you have Bill Benham and Travis Woodall right there. Things, things begin off. It's done. Else. And well, they have add, to make sure that they don't virtually sit next to each other. Yeah, if we can just keep them <laughs> oh, separated no, somehow. There are... No. Yeah. That Bill and other Bill, or Travis and other Travis, as we call them, <laughs> yep. not separable. No. <laughs> they are indeed conjoined. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, well, with that then, um, we will have a very fabulous photo of mm. Hamster Sean. Winter um, Hamster Sean. Winter Hamster Sean up available on the show notes which that anyone is... who's seeing this will have already seen it before they get to me talking about it um uh thomas but, valley i uh, I, other... I hate you but it's wonderful <laughs> it thomas is so valley, good. i love you <laughs> i love i love thomas i love thomas oh, with yeah. all my heart and he knows that <laughs> um he's awesome um, but other things people can find on the internet um include you sean why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online uh, the best place to find me online is on Twitter, at Sean Merwin. Um, my DMs Guild stuff, you can just search Sean Merwin and find all that stuff. And you can find Down With D&D on the Misdirected Mark Network at misdirectedmark.com. Okay, that links to both those as always. Uh, you can find me on the internet on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, and my website. It's all just Jenny Love Day. G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. Paige, how about you? You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Paige Lightman. That's spelled L-E-I-T-M-A-N. You can also find me on the website that my husband and I have with our writing portfolio on it, and that's benandpagewrite.com. I won the, the argument there and put his name first. Alphabetical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, plus, I'm the DM of the Feats and Fables streaming game. You can find us on twitch.tv, Feats and Fables. Also, you can find the D&D Roundtable all over the internet, Twitter, Facebook, by uh, looking for D letter in D round table. Also feel free to shoot us an email at D in D round table at gmail.com. Also, please give us a like on Facebook. Give us a review wherever you can iTunes. That would be great. We really appreciate your support and feedback until next time. Dear listeners. Woo. 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 <laughs> <laughs>